who loves us and who is here with us tonight. I suppose some introduction would be in order. Um, I am from Ireland, like was mentioned, for the last three and a half years. I, along with my family, have lived in Ireland. And my role there at the Dunmore East Christian Fellowship is I'm the lead pastor as well as the administrator of the mission there. And I wear a few other hats too. But God is faithful in giving us the strength to do what he's called us to do. And it's going to be unavoidable this week weekend to refer to Ireland and things that have happened there and the church there and things like that. So you will get a little bit of a taste of, of Ireland in these next days. We love the country that we're, we've been called to serve in, and we love the people there, and we love our church very much. I have a wonderful wife and four children who are very dear, and I miss them tonight. They are not here um, with work responsibilities and school activities and other things with the mission. It just doesn't really make sense logistically for them to come along like it used to in bygone years. Thankful that all our children still live at home. Our oldest son is 24, Logan. Our son Gareth is 20. Our daughter Lydia is 16. And our youngest son, Grant, is 9. And we have an extra blessing with our son Grant. Grant has Down syndrome. And it's been a blessing for us to have a son like that in our home. Our older sons work in the carpentry business that our mission has. Uh, we've, we've ha we have several businesses there to help keep us uh, self-supporting as much as possible. Our uh, daughter and our younger son attend the school that we have there. Our daughter is graduating this year. She's excited about that. And our son Grant enjoys school very much, and he has his own personal teacher. I also have some connections to Ohio and North Carolina. I've lived in both places, and uh, the, I, so sometimes I'll use the example of the shopping cart. Um, when we lived in Ohio, we, we went to Walmart and we pushed a shopping cart. We went to North Carolina, and that became a buggy. And now in Ireland, that same thing is a trolley. So it's the same I have some connections here as well. I don't know many of you, and I'm, I am looking forward to getting to know you this week. I have a few connections, though. Paul and Rhoda Nisley are longtime friends of my parents, I think over probably over 40 years, and I'm looking forward to going there this evening for a meal. I was also blessed to be involved at Calvary Bible School with Roman and also Mel and Cliff and some other connections from here. And I just counted recently with being there as a student and then uh, later as a teacher and a, a board member, I think I've spent about six months of my life uh, living at Calvary Bible School. Also another connection is that um, Joanna Byler, Marcus's wife, is a first cousin to my wife. And another special connection is that we, as a church at Dunmore East, have a, a tie with you here at Mine Road, 
and the, and the work there at Lesvos that the, you are responsible for. Nat and Ruth Yoder are members of the church there at Dunmore East, and they're serving there in Greece along with uh, Randall and Althea. And uh, we certainly, there in Western Europe, are glad for another like-minded church on the far side of the European Union. And I've not been there yet. I'd like to visit them sometime. I enjoy the outdoors. I enjoy reading. I enjoy spending time with my family, and I like fishing. And all of the above I need to carve out time for and be intentional about that in the season of life that I live in now. I love the Church of Christ. I love discipling believers, and um, I enjoy learning. And the things that I'll be speaking about this week are things that are dear to my heart, but I also speak out of a sense of need. Often I'll be drawn to subjects that are a personal need of mine that I need to grow in. And so I have not achieved. I'm growing, and I want you to know that. My prayer is that during this weekend, this long weekend, that God will help us push aside the, some of this, the distractions and some of the pressures and some of the, the things that would rob us of our focus and draw us to him and help us to be quiet so we can hear him speak. Jesus wants to speak words to us. He wants to speak words of love and hope and truth into our hearts. May God speak to us as we listen. And I want to do that. Thank you for your prayers. I'm going to begin this evening with a story, or not a story, but a, a little lesson from Ireland. Ireland is a fairly modern country. In many ways, it's like the states. It could almost be the 51st state. But the culture is still quite different, and the longer we're there, we realize that it's not the United States. But there are a lot of conveniences there that we would expect to have here. We have visited numerous museums as a family, and we have learned some of the history of Ireland in a hands-on way. And it's fascinating to me to study the history of uh, the more recent history of Ireland from the 1800s on, although I, I was listening to a, a podcast today of an earlier time uh, in the history of Ireland, and I enjoyed that as well. But during the 1800s, the common people in Ireland, mostly Catholics, were under the control of English lords who came over and um, had land holdings, and the common people would work for them. These rich lords from England that controlled the land and controlled the economy, they exported many goods agricultural products and other things from Ireland to other places in, in the uh, British Empire. Ireland is a fertile place to live. There's green grass. Uh, there's, there's a lot of 
benefits there, a lot of resources. But the common man, it was decided that uh, they needed to not have as, all, all those blessings and those benefits for themselves because that was being taken away and out of their country for the benefit of the wealthy. And so uh, potatoes were introduced in Ireland as a food for the common man. And it became a food that was their staple. Uh, it was the food that the common people would eat. I found it interesting that at first, being they were a religious people, they rejected the potato because uh, you don't find potatoes in the Bible. But by and by, they accepted this as a food, and they, they began to eat it. An acre of potatoes could feed a family of a whole family of five or six or seven people for an entire year. And so it was very economical, and it made sense to these English landholders to feed their servants potatoes so the rest of the land could be used for their benefit. And so the Irish common laborer would eat potatoes along with his family, and that would, is what he would eat, what they would eat for breakfast and for lunch and for supper. Potatoes, potatoes, potatoes. And in some of the museums that we have visited, they've recreated some of those scenes, what that must have been like. Uh, the potatoes would normally have been boiled and uh, taken out and put on the table, and then the parents and the children would have all reached in there and grabbed their potatoes, and if they were fortunate, they would have been able to eat them with uh, butter, maybe a little bit of butter and some salt, but more often than not, they would eat the potatoes boiled in the skin without anything else. A little bit like Daniel, uh, during that time, they did tests on the Irish men and found them to be stronger and fitter than some of their other counterparts in other parts of the uh, British Empire because they ate potatoes as their diet. Actually, with the skin on the potato, it is a fairly healthy, nutritious meal. How many potatoes do you think they ate? If you would eat potatoes morning, noon, and night, and you are a laborer who is working for your master, and you're carrying rocks out of the field, and you're building a wall, or maybe you're digging a lagoon or a pond for him. You're working hard. Would you eat one potato per meal? Would you eat three potatoes per meal? I like my potatoes too, I, I, but I like my steak along with them. I, I brought along tonight what the average male adult male would eat in a day's time. 14 pounds of potatoes, which would fill this bowl. Are you ready, boys, to, to have a bite? What do you think? Are you up to the challenge? Potatoes, potatoes, potatoes. And more potatoes. But then, in about 1845, something happened. And it's thought that the impetus for this, the cause of this 
began here in the United States and found its way on a ship across into Western Europe. You've heard of the potato blight. It's an airborne fungus that will kill potatoes in the field. I've, I've experienced that. We've had some potatoes that had blight on them. And if you can catch the blight right away when you see the leaves turning black, you can still eat the potatoes. But if you wait a few days, the leaf will turn black. And you dig the potatoes, and what you have is a slimy, it looks like a, an old bar of soap, and you cut it open and it stinks. It's awful. The potato blight of the 1840s and early 50s in Ireland was devastating. There was an estimated population of 8 million people in the country during that time. Approximately a million of those people died either from starvation, from not having enough to eat, or diseases that were associated with uh, a poor diet. And another 1 or 2 million people, between 1 and 2 million people, emigrated. Many of them came here to the United States and here to Pennsylvania, actually. It's just now, in 2022, that the population in Ireland, on the island of Ireland, is, has reached the pre-potato famine population total. It's about the same now. Just for some comparison, I think during the 1840s, here in the United States, the population was about 20 million Ireland was 8 million. The population today here is about, what, 350, 360 million, and there's more coming all the time. That just gives you a sense of the horror of this devastation, of this potato famine. There's a lot of lessons that, we could, be, that could be learned we can thank God for the food that he's given to us, and when we have good food to eat, we need to be thankful. And we could also use the example of blight as a picture of sin. The sin will destroy our lives. I have a question for you tonight. Would you be able to survive a famine? Imagine if you would be a parent and you would go out and, and that acre of potatoes that you would have been counting on for your family for the next year would be lying and rotting. What would you have done as a parent? Again, we should be thankful for the plenty that God has blessed us with. And we should never forget that people still starve here in 2022. I want to talk about a famine tonight, but it's not a, a physical famine. The prophet Amos says this, Behold the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, from the north even to the east, they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. We might wonder tonight, what was Amos talking about? Is he talking about a time when, when the Bible, God's word, 
will be taken from us? There are some people that think so. But I want to come from a different premise tonight. Verse 11, the verse that I read, does not say there's going to be a famine of the Word of God. It says there's a famine of the hearing of the Word of God. And I want to title the message tonight, A Famine of Hearing. Listen to this. uh, This is the foreword from a book that I have on my shelf that I've referred to numerous times. And it's the book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. It's written by Neil Postman a generation ago already. It's not a new book. But he's writing in his foreword about two older books that I don't have on my shelf and I wish I would. The book, the first one is 1984, a book written by George Orwell. And the second book is Brave New World, a book written by uh, Adolphus Huxley. Listen to what he writes. I'm not going to read the entire foreword. We were keeping our eyes on 1984. Now he's talking about the year 1984. Because the book 1984 was a book that was written in 1949, predicting what life might be like in a place like the United States 35 years later and what government would do to control people. We were keeping our eyes on 1984 when the year came and prophecy didn't. Thoughtful Americans sang softly in praise of themselves. The roots of liberal democracy had held. Whatever else the terror that had happened, we at least had not been visited by the Orwellian nightmares. We had forgotten that alongside Orwell's dark vision, there was another slightly older, slightly less well-known, but equally chilling book, Aldous Huxley's book, Brave New World, which was written in 1932. Now, he talks about those two books. And if you've read the two books, you know what he's talking about. What Orwell feared was, were those that would ban books. But what Huxley feared was that there would be no reason to ban a book because there would be no one that would want to read one. And he says some other things, but he says in the book 1984... People are controlled by inflicting pain. But in the book Brave New World, they are controlled by inflicting pleasure. In short, Orwell's book, 1984, feared that what we hate will ruin us. But in Huxley's book, Brave New World, he feared that what we love will ruin us. And the book Amusing Ourselves to Death, the book that I I use and refer to is about the possibility that the book that Huxley wrote is right and the book that Orwell wrote is wrong. Just something to think about. I want you to turn to the book of Amos and I'm going to read the the, uh, chapter that I brought the text from. Um, Amos 8 and the book of Amos is tucked in between the book of Joel and the book of Obadiah. Now this prophecy that Amos wrote points to a certain period in time where from our vantage point here in 2022, we can look back and we can say, there 
is what happened, and this is how it happened. When, when God told the prophet Amos that there was going to be a, uh, there was going to be a famine of the hearing of the word of God, that actually came to pass. And there was a time when, for about 400 years, from the prophet Malachi till the prophet John the Baptist, there was not a clear hearing of the words of God. And 400 years is a very long time. That would be 12 generations of people living and waiting without a clear message from God. So God spoke through the Old Testament prophets about things that would happen to the Jews and the surrounding nations in their future. But the prophet Amos' message also speaks in a general sense to us in the world in which we live today. So I want to read now from Amos chapter 8. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord, then said the Lord unto me, the end is come upon my people Israel. I will not pass again pass by them any more. And the songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day, saith the Lord God. There shall be many dead bodies every, in every place. They shall cast them forth with silence. Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fall, saying, When will the new moon be gone, that we may sell corn, and the Sabbath, that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great, and falsifying the balance by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver, and the needy for a pair of shoes, yea, and sell the refuse of the wheat? The Lord hath sworn by the excellency of Jacob, Surely I will never forget any of their works. Shall not the land tremble for this, and every one mourn that dwelleth therein? And it shall rise up holy as a flood, and it shall be cast out and drowned as by the flood of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the clear day. And I will turn your feasts into mourning, and all your songs into lamentations. And I will bring up sackcloth upon every loin, and baldness upon all loins, and baldness upon every head. And I will make it as the morning of an only sun, and the end thereof as a bitter day. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from north even to the east. And they shall run to and fro and seek the words, word of the Lord and shall not find it. In that day shall the fair virgins and the young men faint for thirst. They that swear by the sin of Samaria and say, Thy God, O Dan, liveth the manner of Beersheba liveth, even they shall fall and never rise up again. I'd like to look at some key words tonight in relation to this famine that we read about in the book of Amos chapter 8. What, was, what were some of the reasons that God said, I'm going to send a famine of the hearing of my words. There's four things in this 
that I would like to point out. And I would like for us to think about 2022 and here at Mine Road in our lives. The first word is the word opportunity. And we have in verse 2 where there's a basket of summer fruit. And God, in a vision, showed this like he showed a vision to Jeremiah earlier and, and had Jeremiah buy that piece of land. Here he's showing Amos a vision of fruit. Why did he do it? Well, fruit, when it's picked, is beautiful. My sister the other day gave me some fruit to take along with me, and I, it was nice. I, I started eating some of it. Then I laid the rest in the, in the car. I kind of forgot about it. I put it under my coat. And then later on, I think it was last evening, I began to smell something. And I picked up my coat, and there under there, that fruit had started rotting. When we think of fruit, there's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of this needs to be used this needs to be utilized. This needs to be put to use now. And God is using this example of the fruit as a comparison to the people of Israel. And by the way, Amos was prophesying to Israel. Jeremiah was prophesying to Judah. But to the people of Israel, this was a sign to them. You're like this fruit. You look beautiful. You think everything is good. Look at you. Picture perfect. But you're not seeing the urgency of the moment. This is a time of opportunity. This was 787 B.C. The enemy was coming. The judgment of God was coming. These people had failed to see that as they looked at their situation. There is a time in life when we need to be fruitful. There's a time in life for fruitfulness and for using the fruit of our lives to be a blessing to people. Because things will not always be as they are now. Opportunity. We are living in the day of opportunity. What did you do with the opportunities that God gave you today? You had some opportunities. Maybe you had a niggling thought, I need to do this in this situation. Did you follow through with it? Were you faithful in the opportunities that God gave you today? The other, the other week, it was, it was actually last week, my dad was driving on a highway that he's driven on many year, for many, many times, uh, and on this road, there's a, a railroad crossing that has flashing lights when a, tr a train is coming and has gates that come down. For some reason, that day that he was driving through there last Friday, the gates were malfunctioning, and he was going about 45 miles an hour, and about 40 feet in front of him, just as he was approaching the railroad crossing, the gates started going down. He didn't see any flashing lights, and just like that, uh, a service car from the railroad company crossed in, right in front of him. And dad said there, was, there would not have been time to say, 
God be merciful to me, a sinner. It was just like that, and he impacted that car with his one-ton truck, totaled it. He walked away with hardly a scratch. Oh, he was sore. We don't know. Our life is a gift, and we don't know when our life on this earth will be over. Prepare to meet thy God is what the message was that God had given to Amos earlier in the, in the prophecy. The time that we've been given is marching onwards, and there's a certainty, a sense of certainty, that we will meet God. Now is the time to prepare to meet God. This is the time of opportunity. Another word I'd like for us to think about is the word priority. In verse 5, we see the people of Israel during this time as being very religious people. Well, they were being religious. We'll, put the, we'll take the word very away from there. They were observing the holy days. They were... Had, they had a certain respect for the holy things of God. But you can see their hearts weren't in it. Saying, when will the new moon be gone? That we may sell corn. And the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat. They were going through the ritual. They were going through the motions. But their hearts were in their prosperous businesses and it seems like they were prosperous uh, merchants and farmers and businessmen when will the church service be over so we can go back to doing what we were doing before this is making a mockery of God are we prioritizing our relationship with God the poem no time for God. What fools we are to clutter up our lives and leave without heart's gate the Lord of life and life itself, our God. No time for God. So much to say. No time to eat or sleep or love or die. Take time for God, or you shall dwarf your soul. And when the angel death comes knocking at your door, a poor, misshapen soul you'll be to step into eternity. No time for God. Someday you'll lay aside your mortal self and make your way to worlds unknown. And when you meet him face to face, will he, should he, have time for you? You know, it seems, it seems it's so often that I hear this, whether it's at CBS or in accountability group meetings or in pastoral counseling, this plaintive cry 
I'm st I just really struggle to have a meaningful personal devotional life. Prayer is difficult. Why? Why is it that way? Shouldn't we have learned by now that, that we need God? And we need, we need to develop a relationship with God. And I think of my own life, and I realize that this is something that I face as a challenge too. Uh, it's hard to get up 30 minutes earlier in the morning. It's tempting to bring the smartphone with me into my presence rather than keeping it in another room. That urgent business of the day just wants to keep working its way into my mind. What are our priorities? And this is where we, we really encourage and as, as brothers we have accountability groups where we take things seriously at church and we talk to each other and we say how is your devotional life going are you reading the bible we keep each other accountable and that's been very good for me seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you so we have opportunity and priority and i'd like to think of the word integrity from verses four five and six we see these people were very self-centered. They were disregarding the needs of the needy among them. And we know the heart of, of God has always been for the poor and needy. They were buying with a heavy scale and selling with a light one. It even seems like there in verse 6 that they were pretty excited about a new pair of shoes. And they would have, they would have uh, rather done that than blessed the poor. They mixed the chaff in with the wheat, and they called it fine quality. We're to be people of God. We need to be people of integrity. That our word and our action correspond. And the fourth word that I'd like for us to think about is the word affinity. Affinity is a word we don't use very often. But it means joining oneself to because of an attraction for. And back in Ezra, verse 9, or Ezra 9, verse 14, should we again break thy commandments and join in affinity with the people of these abominations? Wouldst thou not be angry with us till thou hadst consumed us so that there should be no remnant nor escaping? We're called to have an affinity for Christ. But look at these people. And I'm looking at verse 14, the last, uh, the last verse of the text that I read. There were three things that they had an affinity towards. The sin of Samaria, God of Dan, the manor of Beersheba. I understand in Samaria there in Israel, the God of Baal was set up there. And in Dan, there was another God called Apis, who is also 
represented as an ox. So you have Baal being a bull. You have this other god being an ox. This is what these people were worshiping. And we think that's foreign to us. I was, I was shocked recently. A friend told me about this. You know, we think of that kind of worship as, as possibly being in some eastern culture somewhere. But in August of this year, in the Commonwealth Games, which is the 72 countries that make up the British Commonwealth, they have sort of like an Olympic game. And those were held in Birmingham, England. And during this opening ceremony for these games, a massive six-story high bull with flashing red lights and smoke pouring out of its nostrils was dragged into the arena. It was a mechanical bull, but it was preceded by a woman and then later Others joined, other women joined around the bull, dancing, bowing down, and appearing to worship this bull. And that's in a country that used to be considered a Christian, a country of Christian influence. We say that's out there. The The other thing that Amos says was Samaria and Dan, but then also he talks about the manner of Beersheba. It was interesting to me to think of Beersheba. Beersheba was the place where Abraham was, and Abraham named this place. It's a place, uh, it's an oasis, a place of wells in in the middle of a a dry and barren place, and it, it it, it can be green and lush there because of the water that it has. And Abraham planted a tree there. So we have refreshment. We have a tree. But I understand that this place was corrupted during this time. And it was also a place where Jeroboam had set idols there. And so what had been a place where the patriarchs met God was now a place of idol worship. So this comes home a little closer as we think of this is not out there. This is the meeting place where the people of God had once been now being a place of idolatry. And I think of that so often in Ireland. We have many beautiful buildings called cathedrals there. And I've been in some of those buildings. And to, to think of all the work that went into that, a lot of that was done by peasant labor laborers. But God does not dwell in those places. And those places are places of idolatry. Jesus wants your affinity. Jesus wants your loyalty. He wants your affection. So... Opportunity, priority, integrity, and affinity are words that are associated with this famine. And the lack of those, those things brought on this famine. And I'm always interested when I think of, when I read after what Amos prophesied, 
that there was going to be a famine of the hearing of the words of the Lord. The further prophecy was that they will wander from sea to sea, from north to east, running to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord and not finding it. It doesn't seem like they were were relieved that they finally didn't need to hear the word of the Lord anymore. You see, before when these people had rejected God, there was always kind of a backup. There was a way to get back. Something that they could fall back on. But it seems here that that was not the case anymore. God gives people the right to make choices. And when they decide they don't want to hear the word of God, God will say, okay, I honored that. Two thousand twenty two is not so different than seven eighty seven BC. In our world today we see a people who are lost and who have lost their way, and they're searching, they're running to and fro, looking and listening, trying to find truth. And I, I really submit that the crisis of identity the crisis of, of searching of lostness today is really it's a direct result of this, this famine of the hearing of the word of God that's chosen by these people. And it's a crisis that we face in churches too. Because it's not that people don't have access to the Bible. We have the word of God in so many formats, in so many ways. And yet here in the United States, I understand there was a survey done in July by Gallup. And if we could believe that that poll, only one in five Americans believe that the Bible, every part of this, is the inspired word of God. We have it. But four out of five people say it's not all the inspired word of God, if at all. Well, the children of Israel in the Old Testament, during those years, it was very dark and very long. So why did God do it? Why did God actually send this famine of the hearing of the word, honoring their desire to not not want it, to not have it? Did God finally, finally, finally lose his patience with these rebellious people? And he certainly would have had a reason to. 400 years of silence. Sometimes in a concert, there is designed by the composer a silence that serves as an introduction for the next theme that the composer is introducing. The theme that God, the composer, introduced after 400 years is Jesus Christ, his son. It was a planned move by God. It was a timely move by God, but unexpected by man. Sudden to man. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came to bring an end to the famine 
and what, what hope that he would have infused into a world of darkness and groping and searching and running to and fro. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Jesus broke the famine. Now in Ireland, the famine was broken over a period of years by people developing potatoes that are blight resistant and those are still the kind that we like to plant today. They were able to diversify their diet and finally they gained victory over their oppressors. But that all took time. Jesus has broken in and he is here to welcome the hungry, the seekers to him. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. The famine of hearing is passed. We can hear the words of Jesus. And because we can hear those words, we don't need to be condemned. And we can move from death into life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. What a feast Jesus offers. Just think of it, the opportunities that we have in Christ, the love that he has for us that we sang about tonight, the freedoms that we have in him, the blessings that he gives us, the resources that are ours because of Jesus Christ, the security that we have in his salvation his goodness, the hope that we have of eternal life. But those 400 years of famine between the Old and the New Testament, the famine of the hearing of the Word of God, in a sense, it wasn't just Israel's famine. It's, it's a famine that has existed for thousands of years around the world and in a, in a sense still exists today individually we are living in a time of great opportunity but we can see it we know it that we're also living in a time of of an abject desperate famine and think of the the wholesale abandonment of people to the lies of satan i walked through the square in waterford around the first of june and the beautiful streets, the cobblestone streets that have been there, and many people have walked on those streets, and the beautiful buildings that were there for hundreds of years. And it was a beautiful scene. So I started looking at the people, and I, then I noticed the flags, and the flags that were flying, you know what those flags are around the 1st of June. It's the pride time. And I thought, wow, you know what? What other flags have flown here for hundreds of years? What would those people say to see this flag flying now? Then I began to look at the faces of people who were walking. I saw some of those dear people and realized the looks on their faces were just so needy, so hungry, so desperate, like they're running to and fro, searching for something. 
Yes, there is the exposure to the works of darkness, the ease and enslavement to pornography, the search for finding purpose and meaning in pleasure and other material things. And that, that hunger, that running to and fro to try to satiate that famine drives people to the brink of hopelessness. And we heard of someone who ended their life recently. Jesus is the food that brings life. It's been such a joy to serve in a place where there's such hunger for the gospel. I know that hunger exists here in your community as well. But we've been able to interact with people who, who have been there, who have been on empty and have been searching and have been hungry and have come to Christ and then God brought them to our doorstep and to walk with those people and help them to grow has been such a joy. Jesus was transformed, transfigured for the benefit of Peter, James, and John. And while they were looking at him in amazement, there was a voice from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. It's my prayer this week and these next evenings and on Sunday that we could just be still. We could hear. Hear Jesus speaking. Jesus is God's beloved son. And he loves you. He's your friend. He cares for you. He wants to help you. He wants to guide you through life. He wants to fill your deepest need, your deepest longing. I'm currently praying for a lost person, and my prayer often is, because I know that he's searching, I know that he's seeking, and I know there's so many voices that he's listening to. My prayer is that, God, of all those voices, may your voice be the loudest and the clearest. God wants us to hear him. There does not need to be a famine hearing of the word of God. I'd like for us to turn in our hymnals to number 843. The song, All My Life Long I Had Panted, was written by the young lady there, Clara Tear Williams. And she was a young lady. I believe she was about 17 years old when she wrote this song, One Night Before Going to Bed. And it's the testimony of someone who found fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And I know we, it uses the, uses the example of being thirsty and finding refreshment. But as we sing the song, we'll see that her hungry soul was filled. Thank you for listening tonight. I know that some of you have boys and girls that will be going to school tomorrow morning. And it can be a, a late night for you. Um, I really appreciate your attention, and may God bless you with a good day tomorrow, and we look forward to seeing you all again tomorrow evening. I'm going to